Amen. Glad you came back. Good to see you, Uncle. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Oh, so I shut this thing off so it don't make noise. Okay, there you go. <laughs> All right, we've been studying the seven sevens, and I'll try to keep it uh, as lively as possible so you don't go down for the count. Amen. But uh, take your Bible and go to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. And while you're going there, uh, the Lord speaks by sevens, or he counts by sevens. And uh, just think, you could, uh, you could go down the road and you get you a nice little message on what you should wear. You're supposed to laugh at that. You know, little dress codes for sparkies, boys and girls and all that. You could get you a message with that. Well, no, I just like little boys and girls there. You could go down the road, you get your message on, uh, oh, family values, you know. You ever stop and think that Paul, Peter, James, John uh, never preached a message on the family? <laughs> and you got places all over the place. You know, let's have a family conference. Hey, I'm all about having, I love my family. I like being around. I know some men hate their kids. Isn't that crazy? But, uh, man, I like being around my family. I like being around my church family. Amen. Y'all are a blessing. You really are. You say, well, they don't like being around you. That might be, uh, you know, that might be part of the case. And, you know, but at any rate, uh, I'll, uh, I probably need to be quiet and get after it here. But uh, while you're going to Leviticus chapter 25, the seven sevens, the Lord speaks. He counts by sevens. And we gave you some things uh, last week to think about. We don't give you these things so you can walk out with a big head. Amen. We give you these things so you can see how the Lord thinks and how the Lord's personality is constructed. And I believe these things are important. I believe they'll help you. And uh, I, I'm, I believe, uh, obviously, in all the fundamentals, so forth and so on. But I think the Lord has much more to show you in the Bible than just, you know, uh, just little tiny things and little quippets and little nuggets and all that. I believe, I believe in all the Bible. Amen. All the Bible. So in the seven sevens there, uh, we began last week by showing you just a couple examples that every color that's out there is constructed by seven different colors, red, orange, yellow, blue, indigo, and violet. And there's nothing any major artist out there that's a millionaire, a billionaire, or dead and famous and so forth and so on didn't paint with those seven major colors. And the same thing with music. There's no, uh, there's no piece, uh, symphonic or choral piece or anything ever put together that was... Uh, not constructed by seven notes. And when you hit an eighth note, you start over. That's an octave. And so we say uh, seven is how God counts. So we started there in Genesis chapter 2. You know the account of creation real well. And the Lord created uh, the earth in six, uh, the, uh, six days. And so you go six days and you rest on the seventh. And we broke that thing down. And we showed you from the Bible, the Bible itself, that there is no... Buddy observing any Sabbath from Adam to Moses. But yet your Seventh-day Adventists out there, and they're going to try to tell you you got the mark of the beast, you go to church on Sunday, they're out of their mind. <laughs> but there's no one from Adam to Moses observing a Sabbath. How about this? There's no one after Paul observing a Sabbath in the New Testament. Isn't that crazy? And if they are, they're found in the book of Galatians, and they're Christians that were messed up in their doctrine. They went back into Judaism. Amen. I'm glad I go to church on Sunday. And we said we go to church on Sunday because the Lord rose on the first day of the week. Preaching happens in the New Testament on the first day of the week. They took up collections for poor saints on the first day of the week. The Holy Ghost came down in Acts chapter 2 on the first day. You see what I mean? That's why we go to church on the first day of the week. And we don't go to church on Saturday. We just have hay rides and eat crazy junk food on Saturdays. Amen? Uh, but if you want to go to church on a Saturday, you know, that's because you're trying to be an Old Testament Jew. And we said there, number two, go six weeks rest on the seventh week you know what that is that's seven sevens now that uh, could account for when you go to, when other people go to the casino and they pull the lever they're looking for what seven 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 why that's god's number that's how he counts but in the bible here in leviticus chapter 23 you go seven sevens that's what that's 49 days something special happens on that 50th day and that's what that's pentecost you have a feast that's how god counts you say, what's so special about Pentecost? 
Well, I tell you what, uh, you go six weeks and you get to rest a week. That's pretty good, ain't it? You know anybody in this town get to rest on the seventh week? <laughs> That's a pretty good deal it was, wasn't it? It sure was. Uh, Pentecost. You see that word penta? Uh, you think about pentagram, right? That's five. Five points. Well, Pentecost, that's 50 days. And then you got number three. You go six months, and you hold three major feasts in the seventh month. That's in Leviticus chapter 20, verses 23 to 34. And in that seventh month, and automatically, you know what? You're a Gentile. You're thinking July, aren't you? Seventh month. But to a Jew, that's September. Think of your root words, sept, right? All the way on the end there. September, septe, right? Septuagint. <laughs> Regardless of what you think of it, it's seven. Uh, you say, well, I don't believe it. Okay, tell me that October is an eight. Ocho, octo, octogon, right? <laughs> and then nueve, November, that's nine. December, deca, that's ten. And But we're Gentiles, so we see seven. We think July, but when that Jew sees the seventh month, that's September. And so in the month of September, you've got three feasts. You've got the Feast of Trumpets. And that's, I believe, in verse 24. I didn't write it up here, verse 24. You've got the Day of Atonement. That's on the 10th. Uh, so that first feast goes seven days. You break a couple, you go the 10th, the Day of Atonement. And then you've got the Feast of Tabernacles. That thing runs from the 15th all the way to the 22nd. And the top of the next day, that's Yom Kippur. That's the Jewish New Year. And that's the date of the second advent. And we broke that thing down last week the best some ignoramus like me could to show you that uh, September 21, 2, and 3 are the days of the uh, solar equinox and uh, or the, um, that whole, the earth is all out of whack for four days. And we showed you back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 where the sun doesn't show up until the fourth day. And that's why the earth's off kilter for four days. So we show you there's 4,000 years of written history, 4, 000, B.C. 4,000, B.C. 3,000, B.C. 2,000. And 1,000, and so the end of the fourth day, going into the fifth day, what shows up? Life shows up. In your Bible, it's not between the fourth and fifth day that you get life. And that life is Jesus Christ. And so that thing fits like a hand in a glove. So you go six months, you hold three major feasts. And that one feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, dates the second advent. <clears throat> That's right here. September 23rd. Malachi 4.2, that's when uh, he comes back and he's likened unto the sun with healing in his wings. Uh, the, the fourth one here, Leviticus 25, 1-6, you go six years and then you make the land rest. You see that? Six years and make the land rest. We talked all about that. And uh, like I said, I got a neighbor and they want uh, their garden to rest on the sun. Help yourself, man, whatever works. Now you're, I think they're too old and they can't do anything with it. But anyways, it's worth a shot. But the farmers, if they did that, they go broke. But there in, uh, in, in the land of Israel, they were to go six years, and then they weren't supposed to plant, and they were supposed to let the land rest. You say, why? God counts by sevens. He counts by sevens. And so this is about where we got the last time. You go six years, and you make the land rest. I'll tell you what, we've got a long introduction. Brother Cole, why don't you pray and ask the Lord to bless the rest of this time we got together. Amen. Thank you, brother. Uh, so with that, uh, with that land resting, that was supposed to help Israel in the land. And I told you to go to Leviticus 23, but what I really want you to go to is uh, uh, Leviticus uh, 25. Leviticus 25, and uh, that's in verse 8 through 11 there. Leviticus 25, verses 8 to 11. And the Bible says here, Go seven, uh, uh, and thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years. And the space of seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty-nine years. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. What is that? That's the Day of Atonement, right? Remember, tenth day of the seventh month, Day of Atonement. Cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. 
I want you to know in the seventh month shows up for that Jew the tenth day, that's the Day of Atonement, and someone's blowing a trumpet. <laughs> in the Day of Atonement shall you make the trumpet sound throughout all your land, and you shall howl the fiftieth year. You see that? Uh, you go seven times seven years. Here's number five. You have a mid-century Pentecost. Mid-century, that's a mill of the year. Remember, Pena is 50, right? Mid-century Pentecost, so what do you do? You proclaim a jubilee, and you turn the entire land loose. If you owed 20,000 bucks to Visa, Visa would be like, oh, no problem, we got it, got you covered. That's how God set that thing up. Not so you go charge up 20 grand. He had provisions against that, too. But if you owed people money, they were to forgive your debt. If they, someone took your house, so you had to let your house go back to the bank, guess what? They put it back to your heritage. Wouldn't that be a blessing? Here in America, you let your house go, you'll never see it again. <laughs> but that's what the Lord goes seven times seven years. That's 49 years. And on the 50th year, you blow the trumpet on the Day of Atonement, you proclaim a jubilee, and you literally turn the land loose of all debt. You see that? And the funny, the, it's not funny, it's sad, but Israel never saw that. Ever, Israel never saw a jubilee. You see what I mean? Now, for anyone trying to tell you that we're getting better, they're smoking crack. We're not getting better. We're getting worse as a country. We're getting worse as a people. We're getting worse as a church. Say, I came here for some good news. I hang out. It's a lie. We'll get there. <laughs> I was talking to a, a, an educator. <laughs> Careful what I say here. I was talking to an educator, and all the educators that you run into, for the most part, unless some of them got some sense and got some Bible somewhere, they think you're getting better. We're not getting better. I talked to this educator, and she's a kind young lady, and I said, uh, I said isn't it funny? I said, you know, I said, this world thinks we're getting better. She said, yep, we sure are. And that we're getting better, and, you know, we're smarter. I said, but isn't that funny? I said, over 75% of the kids in this school of 1,200 can't even do schoolwork with a light on. they got to have the lights off. You ain't been in public school lately, have you? The lights are too much for your baby's eyes. But we're getting better, are we? You ever study that thing out about light? Genesis chapter 1, God divided the light from the darkness. Jesus Christ shows up on the earth. You know why men love darkness? The Bible says because their deeds were evil. You know what kids are doing right now? They're spending hours upon hours upon hours in front of smartphones watching ungodly stuff through YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, and all that garbage there. You know, they're burning their, they're burning their eyes out, and they're burning their brains out, and they come to school, and they can't have no lights on. No light. Why? Men love darkness because their deeds were evil. You know why Jesus came? He was the light. And when he came because he was the light, he said, I come so men won't have a cloak for their sin. You know, you know what people want to do? They want to hide in the darkness. That's why no bar has got any windows. I mean, unless it's a, one of them high-stake high bars, you know, sports bars, you know, then you got some windows there. But, I mean, a real real tavern it'll have some windows but they'll be all marbled out that place i preached across the street there family was on the street with me for a number of years i uh, used to be rouse tavern hell hole ungodly place just wicked as you you name it but anyways they had a bunch of windows but it was all that glass you couldn't see through the opaque stuff you know what i mean man we preached across that for years and years and saw people get saved and saw people get mad and saw people want to fight but uh you say we're getting better are we Okay, well, if that's the case, how come our kids can't even do schoolwork with lights on? You say, well, it's not like that. I didn't say it was, but it sure is the place where I'm working. We're getting better, are we? I'm kind of getting off topic here, but you go seven times seven years. That's 49 years, and on the 50th year, you turn the land loose. You have a mid-century Pentecost. Ain't that something? And uh, there in Le Leviticus chapter 25, verse 9, it says, Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, and the day of atonement shall you make the trumpet sound throughout all your land, and ye shall howl the fiftieth year. There's something special about that fiftieth year, because it was after seven sevens. <laughs> Why? There's something special about seven. And it shall be a jubilee unto you, and ye shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall return every man unto his family. And I had to do also with uh, Exodus chapter 21. If a Hebrew servant was serving, you cut him loose on the seventh year. If it was Jubilee time, you cut him loose then. And uh, it says here in verse 11, it says, A Jubilee shall that fiftieth year be unto you. Ye shall not sow, neither reap that which groweth of itself in it, nor gather the grapes in it of thy vineyard. Can you imagine not having to work for an entire year? That'd be all right, wouldn't it? Every 50 years, you, one year, you don't have to work. You don't have to plant crops. You don't have to harvest crops. You don't have to go hunting. There's just the Lord's just going to make sure there's enough food there for everybody. 
Ain't that something? But uh, what happens there, uh, it says, uh, you see that thing where it says proclaim liberty. Proclaim liberty. What verse is that in? Proclaim liberty throughout the land. It's right in front of my face. I can't even see it. Thank you. I, I told you it was right there in front of my face. Uh, proclaim liberty throughout the land. And you know where that's at, right? That's on the Liberty Bell. We said that last week. Proclaim liberty. That's because back in 1776, they thought they were bringing in the kingdom. So when the Liberty Bell came up there in Philadelphia, they put Leviticus 25.10 on that bell. There's your Christian nation. I'm not making fun of it. I'm a patriot whether or not I get all jacked up about Fox News or not. Amen. <laughs> but I'm not stupid enough to look at the Liberty Bell and go, oh, yes, we're bringing in the kingdom. We're having a jubilee. No, we're not. We're shooting the Redcoats on the run. And they were standing up in rows, perfect rows, and finally the English colonists said, man, we got to have more sense than this. They started standing behind trees. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to get shot at, I'm going to stand behind a tree, not stand in a row so I can get busted. <laughs> Proclaim liberty throughout the land. That's what they put at 7076. And uh, another thing, if you look at study our country, they often thought that we're bringing in the kingdom. That's why in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, over there in uh, the United Nations Plaza, they have the Isaiah Wall. And there you have another classic ex uh, example of biblical ignorance. Where they talk about, uh, let's see, I got it right here. It says uh, Isaiah 2.4. This is on the Isaiah Wall. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. You know what they're thinking? They're thinking they're bringing in the kingdom. Well, ever since the United Nations was brought into existence, they've had wars every single year against God's people. And then they go ahead and take that verse and claim it for themselves and, you know, spend millions of dollars uh, engraving it upon a wall. They don't mean it to save their life. But any rate, that is uh, match number five. You go seven times seven years, you have a mid-century Pentecost. And uh, I'll tell you what, I bet you that'd be exciting, wouldn't it? Uh, we go once a year, it's, it's about the only vacation we really get, and it's really not a vacation, but it is, you know what I'm saying? We go down to Jacksonville, and we got some friends that we've made over the last five, is it five years? Five, six years? And we, we went down there, and just first of all, the rest, and we go down there, and it's, it's, it's tedious. There's a whole bunch of preaching. It's like, what, five days? Seven years? Oh, hey, there you go, seven years. We're going to have us a real jubilee now. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, oh, they call their, uh, their, their yearly meeting the jubilee. Amen? The jubilee. And it's a good. It's time to get refueled. And usually I need to get my batteries charged, and not to mention drink a bunch of energy drinks to try to stay awake on the way there and back. I think I got some help this year. Amen? <laughs> Let's grab number six here. I don't want to bore you to pieces. Go to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, seven sevens, here's number six. This is the old preacher's material. I'm not the old preacher by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm sure thankful for what he gave us, amen? I'm thankful for his faithfulness and his studies and how it's benefited us in the body of Christ. Here, number six, uh, Revelation chapter 20, this is it, go six millennia, and you rest on the seventh. You know what a millennia is, right? It's a thousand years. So I put it up there, that's 6,000 years of man running the joint and 1,000 years of Jesus Christ running it. <laughs> Which one you think is going to be the best? I mean, it's not getting any better. It's getting worse. But uh, look at uh, Revelation chapter 20. And while you're uh, there, I'll read you one verse in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, 8, I believe this shows you how the Lord, uh, he counts by sevens and his days count by thousands. He says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. One thing. <laughs> one day is with the Lord as what? A thousand years. And a thousand years is what? You ever just stop and think about that verse and wonder why some verses are in the Bible? Unless, as Brother Peter says, the Lord did not want us to be ignorant of that thing. So if he didn't want us to be ignorant about it, why, why did nobody, hardly anybody seemed to be talking about this stuff? I'm not telling you, I've got, I don't have the edge on truth, but I do have the truth right here. The Bible says a thousand years is one day. Now you're there at Revelation chapter 20. Let's look at these thousand years. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. The Bible says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. 
And he laid hold on the dragon and the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him what? There's a thousand years. I'm going to put my finger up in the air because I'm going to keep reading. That's the first time it's mentioned. Verse 3, and cast him in the bottomless pit and shut him up and uh, set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God which had not worshipped the beast neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years, third time. Verse 5, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. That's 5. Verse 7, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. You see that right there? That's six times in one chapter that you see that phrase, thousand years. All right, six times. And if that's how the Lord counts his days, a thousand years is one day, and one day is a thousand years, uh, that seventh day, you know what that's going to be? That's going to be the millennial rest. And that millennial reign is for a thousand years when Jesus Christ comes back to the second advent, that's Malachi 4.2. And what happens? He puts down all rules. He puts down all kings. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He comes through there, and the blood's as deep as a horse's bridle in the uh, Battle of Armageddon. And he comes there through the Mount of Olives and split that thing right in half and come through over the Jordan River, and, man, he lets them have it. And uh, he gets up on the throne there at Jerusalem. He rules and reigns with a rod of iron, the Bible says, for 1,000 years. We are premillennial. Amen? Anybody that's got any sense at all and reads the King James Bible is premillennial and pre-tribulation. All right, so that's... Uh, that's the seventh. The seventh is a 1,000 period year of time where Jesus Christ is running the things. Let me show you about this 1,000 years. Look at Isaiah 14. Have you ever studied that millennial reign of Jesus Christ? Have you ever studied it? I mean, have you ever taken the Bible and just ran some references on it? Well, I'm going to give you some, and you might want to write it down. Because right now there's a curse on this earth. You ever stop and think they put a crown of thorns on the head of Jesus Christ? And they cursed the Lord Jesus Christ with this earth when they put him on that cross. When he comes back, the only way that curse comes off is by him coming back and touching this earth. Until that point, this earth is going to be cursed. The crops are always going to get worse. Your food's always going to get more expensive. Gas and oil are always going to be more expensive. Uh, your health insurance is always going to go up. And your bodies continue to go kaput. Uh, look here, Isaiah 14, 7. The Bible says the whole earth is at rest. Well, it sure is in Iosco County. <laughs> That's the millennial reign, and it's quiet. Can you imagine uh, in the millennial reign, you know what I know does not exist during the millennial reign? You, you, you disagree, and that's fine. There are no cell phones, man. It's quiet. I mean, quiet. All day long, man. <laughs> you know? You walk through the house, is that mine? No, it's my wife's. No, that's my son's. Yeah, then you hear your kid's alarms go off. <laughs> and he won't shut it off. <laughs> and then it happens to you. And then you're sleeping through it, and then your wife is elbowing you in the ribs, or, you know, your husband's, oh, shut your alarm off, you know. I didn't hear it. Well, I heard it. The whole earth is at rest. Ain't no cell phones, no cell towers. Amen. What a blessing. Okay, all right. I'm not going to teach a new doctrine. I'm just going to believe it, and y'all can do what you want with it, amen? They break forth into singing. That's the millennium. Look at Mark chapter 13. That's the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. The whole earth is at rest. Now, let me show you about this thing. Mark chapter 13. 1334, Jesus Christ is given this while he's on the earth, his earthly ministry here. And he's teaching the people. Now, you want to know about a good teacher? Jesus Christ was a great teacher. He's the greatest preacher that ever lived. He didn't have to have, uh, you know why some of these churches have to have, you know, the worship bands and all that stuff and the, the Starbucks coffee bar. No, I like Starbucks. I mean, I'm, whatever, you know. I, you say, well, they're not politically. I don't care. I like their coffee. I don't vote with them. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you know why some of these churches got to have all these gimmicks and gags? Because they ain't got the real thing, man. 
they ain't got the real thing here. So when you ain't got the real thing coming out of here, you got to do stuff to keep people. Amen. Mark 13, 34, the Bible says, For the Son of Man is as, as, as you see that? It's a similitude. As a man taken a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Sounds like something maybe the Lord did, eh? Watch you therefore, verse 35, for you know not when the master of the house cometh. Do you know when the Lord's coming back? I don't. But notice this with this Jew, about this Jewish night. Master of the house cometh at even, or at midnight, or at cock crowing, or in the morning. Lest uh, coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And I, uh, what, what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. So there's four watches in that Jewish night. Isn't that interesting? I take your Bible, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I look at two verses. Just make a little bit of an application and try to set you up with something. And some of you might call me a heretic. That's all right. As long as you still call me over for dinner. Amen. It doesn't matter. I'm not, I'm not as interesting in setting a date on all this as I'm trying to show you how close we really are. We close we really are. You say, are you writing all your calculations? Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, but uh, I'll keep trying to uh, calculate the thing out. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. Now, you just read in Mark that there's four watches in that Jewish night. Four watches in that Jewish night in First Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 2, the Bible says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a what? Thief in the what? The night. Does he come in the night? He comes as a thief in the night. We know he comes in the fourth watch of the night if you're reading your Bible and you're uh, lining that thing up with the New Testament. Uh, look at Second Peter chapter 3. I'll give you another one. Four watches in the night, and when the Lord comes, he comes as a thief in the night. How many of y'all heard that growing up? Thief in the night. That's a great passage. Isn't that something? The Lord of glory, holy, harmless, separate from sinners. The world classifies him as a thief. You say, why is he classified as a thief? Because this world belongs to the devil, and when he comes and gets you out of here, he steals what belongs to the devil. Second <laughs> Peter chapter 3, look at verse 10. 2 Peter 3.10, the Bible says, But the day of the Lord will, will come, how? As a thief in the night. You see it? In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. Uh, so much for save the earth, amen. <laughs> it's going to burn. Uh, and you can read the rest of that thing there. But I think it's interesting that the Lord is going to come back as a thief in the night. And in that Jewish night, there's four watches, isn't there? Now, let's just suppose now, shall we? Let's just go ahead and make some suppositions here. And uh, do something that's not going to correct the word of God. But let's just suppose from uh, A.D. 33, the death of the testator, if the calendars are right, which we know they're not. But we'll just say if the calendars are right. And we know Jesus Christ was 33 and a half years old when he died. So let's just say that time clock started back up at, at A.D. 33 and a half, right? If we say that, and there's four watches in the Jewish night, first watch, second watch, third watch, fourth watch, that put the date of the second advent at September 23, 2033. You see that? 2,000 years out. And then that first watch, that's evening, 6 to 9 p.m. If you want your church history reference, that's the Ephesus period, the Smyrna period, and the Pergamos period. The next uh, second watch of the night, that's midnight. That's uh, 9 to 12. <laughs> Still is, right? And uh, that's the Thyatira period. That's a rough period in church history. People are dying and dropping like flies for the cause of Jesus Christ. And not only that, third watch of the night, that's called cock crowing. That's 12 to 3 a.m., right? And that's the Sardis period, Sardis period and, uh, in church history. And the fourth watch of the night, uh, that's the Philadelphia church age, the greatest church age in all history. That thing started back in 15, oh, We'll say 1533, that thing kicked off and ran right to 1901 with the production of the American Standard Version, recommended by every major Bible college in history. And so that thing runs Philadelphia, and then later see it picks up in 1901. But I'm showing you there's four watches in the Jewish night. So let's just suppose, let's just suppose that uh, you break that thing into four periods of 500 years. You see that? Kind of interesting, isn't it? Uh, that put the uh, date of the second advent, like we set up there, September 23rd, uh, 2033. 
September, you say, why? Jewish New Year, Yom Kippur. He said, I don't believe it. Oh, okay. I'm just guessing like anybody else. I'm just reading the Bible and putting it together. I mean, if a thousand years is one day and one day is a thousand years, and we got 4,000 years of recorded history on this side, and here's the other two, it looks like we're getting pretty close to a millennial of rest. Amen? You say, so what about that thing? Uh, that doesn't give us a date on the rapture. Well, I know no man knows the hour. No man knows the day, right? But think about this thing. If it's 2033, and then you back that thing up seven years, what does that give you? For the rapture of the church, it looks like 2026. Ah, this stuff's exciting to me, but I wouldn't put it at September 23rd, the Feast of Tabernacles, because that's Jewish. I'd, uh, that's, uh, that's the Jewish New Year. You'd put that thing at Pentecost, because that's when the Holy Spirit came down. And Pentecost for 2026 is May 24th, 2026. You say, what if you're wrong? Well, we'll shoot for another one, amen? <laughs> I'm showing you, it's close. I mean, not much longer, and we're out of here. Would that be all right if he came back at May 24, 2026? Some of the brethren would just, man, they'd just have a heart attack because I put that, oh, I don't even care. <laughs> I'm excited. I want the Lord to come back. And I'd prefer him to come back before May 24, 2026, amen? Really, I, like, like tonight at, uh, let's say, about within the next five minutes because uh, he can finish this lesson a whole lot better than I am. But uh, take your Bible, go to Song of Solomon, chapter 6. I want to show you something interesting about this time period. This time period right here, it's night, isn't it? It's pretty dark. Uh, wouldn't you agree that it's dark at night? Uh, do you know that uh, there's only one source of light in the night? And didn't Jesus Christ say, as long as I am the, uh, on the earth, I am the light of the world? Didn't he say that when he was in there in the Gospels? And then what did he do? Then he said a little bit later in John chapter 5 or 7 or like that, didn't he say, ye are the light of the world? He said, what is it, Lord? Make up my mind for me. Uh, he was right as long as he was in the world. He was a light of the world. But then he talked to believers. He said, you are the light of the world. In Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 10, who's got that? Uh, Brian, can you read that real loud? Stand up and read it like a street preacher. <laughs> Terrible is an army with banners. I want you to read that one more time. And every time you get to the word as, I want you to yell it out. Now, isn't that good? You know what the Lord's telling you through Song of Solomon? That's a, that, that moon is a picture of the body of Christ. That moon's a picture of the church. You see that? It's my little, uh, I'm a terrible artist here. I, I don't even draw stick figures. Uh, you, I know some of y'all see this like over an outhouse or something like that. But this is Song of Solomon chapter 6, 10, and while Jesus Christ is away, right? I take your Bible, go to Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 16, I believe it is. I'm going to show this thing to you. Uh, but during the time that Jesus Christ is away, because he's coming back for us, right? Ye are the light of the world. And the moon is a picture of the church. And think about this thing. Here's a crazy thing about that moon. You ever stop to think the way that uh, sun moves? That sun moves from east to west, doesn't it? And then the moon, you know what the moon does? It follows the sun. It moves from east to west. And interesting enough, you know what way the earth turns? As the stomach turns or as the world turns, it's west to east. You see that? This world is against you as a Christian. That moon, a picture of the bride of Christ in the church, it follows the Lord Jesus Christ. It follows the sun. Ain't that something? And isn't that moon a dead planet? Can't you look with a telescope and see all the marks of sin on that moon and all the craters and all the, the boogie monsters and all that stuff where they land or whatever, you know, right? And uh, are, weren't you, uh, at one point in time, weren't you dead in your trespasses and sin? And such were some of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, but now ye are washed, but now ye are sanctified, but now ye are justified. And you know what? You are the light of the world. So the only light during the church age comes from the body of Christ. And he's supposed to, that she is supposed to, uh, she's supposed to reflect the light of her, uh, her, her bride or her groom. Um, uh, let me show you this thing here. Mark chapter 16. 
Now the disciples are out on the water here in, is it Mark chapter 16, I think it is? And they're out there and they're having a time. You know, it's like, I mean, I was out on a big old pontoon boat out on Lake Huron a couple times and I got pretty seasick. But I can imagine uh, when they're out on the Galilee here, I think it's Galilee they're at, and that old storm rises up there. Someone got where that thing starts. That's not it. Maybe it's 14. I got two sets of notes. I'm sorry. 13. 13. No. There's five. 13. Give me just a second. Is it? Yeah, it sounds to me like it'd be back before that. Five. Mark five. That sounds right. I'll get my bearings in just a second. Hillbilly preacher here. There's two storms. One is, in, one is Matthew, I think, and the other one's in Mark, and they collate with each other. Is there one in Matthew 14? Stay with me just a second here. It'll be worth it once you see it. Okay, good. Good, good, good. Yeah, so then the correlation one, you want to grab them both. You want Matthew 14 and Mark 6. Mark 6, that's it. I said 16, didn't I? Threw that thing right off. Now, notice this. Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 14. I'll look at verse 22. Uh, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, a toss with waves, for the wind was contrary. You see the picture? The Lord's up having a prayer meeting on the mountain, and the disciples are in the boat, and the boat's getting rocked all over the place. And in the what? Verse 25, you see it? And in the fourth watch of the night, right? Jesus does what? You see it? He comes to the disciples when? The fourth watch of the night. <laughs> That's good. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were what? You know what I know about the fourth watch of the night? We're in the fourth watch, everybody. There's a lot of trouble in the fourth watch of the night. People are scared to death. You know what the disciples are doing? They're rowing their brains out, and they're not getting anywhere. Isn't that how you feel sometimes as a Christian? You're putting everything you got into it, and you're like, I ain't getting nowhere. That's exactly where the disciples were. And when does the Lord come to them? He comes to them in the fourth watch of the night. That's a blessing. Now, notice this here. It says, But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be a good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him, so forth and so on. Go to Mark 6. I saw this one thing in Mark. And man, I just, I was in the middle of class. I wanted to shout about it. But I couldn't. I just kind of went, you know, and acted all nuts. But Mark chapter 6, the same thing. Verse 49, the storm's on him. Uh, 48, and he saw them toiling and rowing. There it is. There's your perfect application for the Christian in the church age in the fourth watch of the night. You're toiling and rowing. For the wind was contrary unto them. This whole world is contrary to you. That thing's spinning west to east, and you're spinning east to west. Right? There's a conflict. And the wind was contrary to him, and about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. Uh, for they all saw him, and were troubled. There is more trouble, just like we saw before. Now look at this thing, down in 53. And when they had passed over, you know what you're going to do one day when that trumpet blows? You're going to meet the Lord in the air, and you're going to pass over, aren't you? You say, okay, I see it. They came into the land of what? Genesaret. You know, I was, 
I looked up this word, and I didn't go to some foreign uh, language or nothing. I just looked up in the English. You know what Genesaret means? Garden of riches. That's Revelation 22, too. Ain't that something? You do what you want with that, man. That's pretty exciting. That's a perfect picture of the church in the, at the last fourth watch of the night. Jesus Christ comes to the disciples in the fourth watch of the night. And like I said, that Jewish night's got four watches, and if that's the case, there's 4,000 years of recordable history. If you pick it up in uh, 33 A.D. and you run 2,000 years with it, uh, then that picks you at the second advent at 2033. You back off seven years. I'm guessing. I'm a seven-year trip guy. And then you do Pentecost, May 24, 2006. I'll fly away, oh glory. Amen. That'd be all right with you, wouldn't it? And that's what I see there. You go six millennia and you rest on the seventh. Now, that whole thing, number six, was to show you that right here starts the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, that thousand-year period where, where the Lord runs things for a thousand years. And while the Lord's running things, the curse is off the ground. Uh, the wolf lays down with the lamb. And you've got many passages on that thing. And uh, you've got four seasons of harvest. The, uh, what's it say? It says the, in the book of Amos, it talks about the harvester overtaking the reaper. The planter overtakes the reaper. Uh, that means they're putting down seed and while they're still picking the crops off the ground. Four seasons. You want to talk about no curse, uh, you, would, you would have watermelons the size of the, you know, Volkswagen bugs. <laughs> you'd have grapes that you'd fit a cluster in the back of a pickup truck. I'm not kidding. You think all this stuff Hollywood is just a game, but man, you take the curse off the ground, you ain't seen how big a corn, uh, cob of corn would be. You'd probably eat one for a week. But that's the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. The curse is off the ground. And Jesus Christ, he rules from the uh, mercy seat, the Holy of Holies, in downtown Jerusalem, in the temple. Uh, let's grab this last one. I'm probably boring some of you all the tears. Here's the seventh one. This is the seventh one is the seven ages of the earth. Number seven, seven ages of the earth. Now, there's some guys that they'll troll this, and they'll get to hear, and they'll throw up in their mouth because they're afraid of the Bible. But uh, I had the boy get me a cup. I was going to try to draw seven perfect circles, but that ain't happening. If my one daughter was here, she's a pretty good artist. So we'll start with this one right here. Seven ages of that earth, and that first one, you find that thing. That thing's uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Isn't that what it says? Don't know how long it took. I know what some of you are thinking. Well, it took six days. Oh, so, okay, amen. But then there's something happens there. Something happens right there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, the Bible says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Why in the world was the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the waters? You ever stop and think of how the water got there? I mean, you ever just stop and really think how the water got there in verse 2? Or did you just pick up the, uh, what do you call it, that little book that you have in the doctor's office written by the, what is it, the Seventh-day Adventist, the Bible stories, you know, and all that stuff? You ever just stop and ask the physical question, how did the water get there? I look at your Bible, the Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3 in verse 4. Oh, the riches of the scriptures. Second Peter chapter 3 and 4. The first age of that earth of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. The second age of that earth, something happened to that earth, and God had to drown it out. You say, well, that's uh, the gap theory. No, the only gap theory we profess to know is the gap between your ears. Amen? Second Peter chapter 3. There's no theory about it. It's a scriptural fact. And I'm not afraid to preach and teach it. Second Peter chapter 3, look at verse 4. The Bible says, In saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Look at verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Out of the water and in the water. Isn't that what it says? 
out of the water and in the water. Is that how you read it? Well, in the original Greek, don't worry about Greek if you can't understand English. Isn't that what it says? Isn't that what you see in that passage right there? Now, does that describe Genesis 1-1 to you? It absolutely does not. The Bible says Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, in the Spirit of God, it's moving upon what? The face of the waters. 2 Peter chapter 3 says that that earth is in the water and out of the water. You see that? Doesn't that make you scratch your head? That ought to. Look at this in verse 6. Whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. Isn't that what it says? All right, so you have a water just like this. And then you get the, that's verse 5. And that verse 6. Isn't that what it says? Being overflowed. It's like someone went, bloom. You ever put a basketball in a garbage can full of water? Bloom. Let it up. Up it goes. Ain't that wild? All right, here's the progression. Number one, 2 Peter chapter 3, 5. The, the earth is out of the water and in the water. Number two. You've got that's underneath the water. That's 2 Peter 3, 6. And then you say, well, what's the next one, preacher? Uh, help us out. Well, there you go. The next progression is right here. Genesis 1, 2. You see it? Spirit of God's moving upon the face of the waters. Where is that earth? It's underneath. I got one more for you. Go to Psalm 136. Psalm 136. I want you to see this thing through Scripture. And so I don't agree. That's all right. You don't have to agree with me. Just make sure you agree with that book. You can put it together different. I'll listen to you. I won't chew you out. But I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to be like some of these preachers and teachers like, well, you know, and just wring my hands and be all afraid to say anything with the Bible. I mean, if the, if the Bible says what it says, man, say what it says. Look at uh, second, or Psalm 136.6. To him that stretcheth out the earth, where? Is that what it says? To him that stretcheth out the earth, where? Above the waters? And that wild? So now here's the final picture. So here it is. Up it came. You see it? Psalm 136.6. You say, what is that? That's this earth right here. That's the second stage of the earth. You say, what happened on that earth? I have no idea. Don't you find it ironic that they undercover all these crazy, you know, skeletons and all these, they call them dinosaurs and monsters and all that stuff. You say, where it came from? I don't have any idea. You weren't here and I wasn't here. You going to believe a scientist or are you going to maybe form your ideas from the word of God? Right? Something happened, and the earth was without form and void. Tell me anything in the Bible that God created was without form and void. You say, my son. No, it don't work that way. Right? You see what I mean? Everything God made in chapter 1, and God saw that it was what? Good. So you go ahead and you reckon Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and don't tell me if something happened there. And then you put the Bible together, and you believe it. And so he put that thing under, and you know what that is? That's a baptism. He baptized that earth. He's saying, uh, does the devil have something to do with it? I think he might. I couldn't prove it. I wouldn't teach it as dogma, solid doctrine. But that's the second age of the earth. And that thing about Noah's flood, that thing is completely different. But the first earth is in Genesis 1. The second one is in Genesis 1-2. And uh, the third one. Uh, that'd be uh, this one we just talked about right here. That's the third earth. Psalm 136.6. Talking about the seven stages of the earth. To him that stretcheth out the earth above the waters for his mercy endureth forever. Here's the thing. When you're over there in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 6, you can't find Noah within 20 chapters. And they always say, well, that's Noah's flood. That's Noah. Uh, Noah, it ain't. <laughs> it ain't either. <laughs> Noah's flood's completely different. Noah's flood's Genesis chapter 7. Uh, look at this thing. Uh, no, I'm not going to take you down that path. I'm going to wear you out here. And so what happens is 
your fourth earth. That's Genesis chapter 6 through 8. And that's the earth is destroyed as Noah's flood. And that's uh, Noah's flood, and that's the account from Genesis chapter 7. Genesis 7. I'm going to get my stuff situated here. Go to Genesis chapter 7. I know you know this, but I want you to see it. Genesis chapter 7, you'll see it's completely different. When Noah's flood hit, it didn't get baptized. You see what I mean? There's two different floods it's talking about. Genesis chapter 7. Look at verse 10. Genesis 7 verse 10. The Bible says, And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. Look at verse 11. In the 600 year of Noah's life in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were open. We don't have time to draw that thing out, but that thing's, a, that thing's shaped like a pyramid, the universe is, and that thing's a mess. Uh, what you don't have is you don't have the, the earth going bloop, getting baptized and coming back up. That's a completely different flood altogether. Look at Psalm 148, verse 4. Psalm 148, verse 4. And when the fountains of the great deep were broken up, you had water from above the heavens coming down. Water from above the heavens coming down. Now I know we're going off into a very, very deep pasture here, and I'm going to try to reel us out real quick, but I want you to see just a couple more things before we come up for air. Look at 48.4. Bible says in Psalm 148.4, Praise Him, ye heavens of heavens, and ye waters that be above the what? You mean to tell me there's waters above the heavens up there? Absolutely. Why do you think they got to have spacesuits on up there? What do they call them? They call them what? Astro. That's a water term, ain't it? Nautical, man. That's Navy stuff. They're astronaut. Between here and the third heaven is a body of water a million times bigger than the Mediterranean Sea. And that's where that water came from with Noah's flood. It came from all the way up there. You get over there, I believe it's in Isaiah and Ezekiel, talks about the, or the book of Job. Uh, talking about the, the deep being hoary as a frost. And we're sinking fast. Look at Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51.10. Bible says in verse 10, Art thou not it which hath dried the sea, the waters of the great deep, that hath made the depths of the sea away for the ransom to pass over? Isn't that a wild verse? That has to do with you and I getting out of here, man. It just shows you that when it's time to go, it's going to be like the parting of the Red Sea, although it's going to be up there. And when you go through the Red Sea up there, the devil's domain is up there. That's why the Lord says over in the book of Hebrews, he'll never leave you nor forsake you, because when you get raptured out of here, there's something swimming in that sea. And uh, that's, that, uh, that's that earth. Now that third earth is, like we said, um, and then the fourth earth, Genesis chapter 6 to 8, and then uh, in 7. And then the fifth earth is found in 8 through 11. You say, what's the fifth earth? Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Genesis 8 through 11, right? Ham takes what? Africa. Did I lose you still? Shem takes what? Asia. And where does Japheth take? Europe. And I know this is not a geography or a history class, but you get the picture. The Bible says that the whole earth was overspread by these three boys. Even a barber will tell you there's only three types of hair. There's three boys. So back, uh, was it Disney put out that, uh, that sitcom in the 50s? My Three Sons. <laughs> uh, Japheth, he took, uh, he took Europe. And eventually Europe would come over and dwell in the tents of Shems over here in America, so forth and so on. We already covered that. But that's that earth right there. That's the fifth earth. Well, what about the sixth one? Okay. So the sixth earth, that thing is in Revelation 20. Revelation 20. 
I'll read it to you. Revelation 24, we're on the home stretch here. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. You see that? That's the millennial earth. That's the one we're looking for. Uh, that's one when Jesus Christ comes back after the battle of uh, Armageddon, he sets up his rule on this earth. Uh, that thing is found in Revelation chapter 20. You find all about that uh, millennial earth in Isaiah chapter 11. We won't turn there. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 all the way through 10. You find that uh, millennial earth in Joel chapter 2. I should probably take another uh, evening and go through all these, but I don't want to belabor the fact. And that thing goes Joel chapter 2, uh, verse 1 all the way through verse 11. And then you got Hosea chapter 3. The same thing. Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. That's that millennial earth. That's that sixth stage of the earth where the land is at rest. And then you see about it in Romans chapter 8, 20 to 23. Romans 8, 20 to 23. We preached about it this morning. That's when you and I are conformed to the image, physical image, of Jesus Christ. That's during this period right here. That's a thousand-year period. And then you got a section of Scripture there in Amos chapter 9. Amos chapter 9, verses 13 to 15. I'm telling you, the Lord counts by sevens. And here's the final last one, all right? You still with me? Them boys are checking out over there, aren't they? You're the best. You guys are the best. Oh, yeah. All right, second, go to 2 Peter chapter 3 with me. All right? Here's the seventh earth. The seventh earth. Seventh stage of the earth. And since seven is the end, guess what happens? <laughs> the eighth one will have to be something new, won't it? See what I mean? Eighth one will have to be something new. Now, look at this uh, here and. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store. Verse 7. Reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, for not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. You know what this seventh, this, this, uh, seventh earth is? It's one that burns. You see that? It's not a sun. That's supposed to be fire. But again, I'm not a Picasso or Monet or anything like that. That seventh earth is one that burns. It goes up in smoke. And like we said, since seven is the end, the eighth one will have to do something new. Here's your last uh, thing of Scripture. Go to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. 21.1, the Bible says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. You see it? For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. Here it is, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. That's going to be a day, isn't it? That's after the judgment seat of Christ. That's after the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, uh, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Since that's the seventh stage of the earth, whatever comes next has to be brand new. You say, why? Why do you do that? Because God counts by sevens. And when you get to eight, it starts all over. So I'm telling you this. I believe 
we're at the end of six, and we're right at the precipice of seven. And when God hits seven, man, it's go. So that's the best that I could possibly do for seven sevens. And I hope it just didn't fill your head with a bunch of stuff and confuse you, but I hope it shows you how close we are to getting out of here. Amen? And uh, you say, well, what should I do with that? Let it be the fire to tell your parents and your loved ones and your grandparents and all them that don't know Jesus Christ about the Lord. Let, let it be the fuel that fires you to go across the street, get out of your comfort zone, and go tell your neighbor about the Lord. He said, he'll think I'm a goofball. Well, you're a goofball anyways. At least now you both know it. Amen. All right, why don't you stand?